0: Coming up on this episode of The Courage to Change,
1: we've got filters on our kids' phones, so we should be okay. Um, because I always say it's not a it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. You know, congratulations for locking down two of the 4.8 billion phones on Earth. You're really playing the percentages there. But what happens when your kid gets on the bus? And their friend with the phone that has no filters is showing them the latest piece of you know, art on uh, Pornhub. And what is your kid going to do? What is your kid going to say? If you don't know, you haven't actually porn-proofed them.
0: Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Lowe Blassingame, and I am your host, Today, we have Joshua Shea. Joshua is a pornography addiction expert. He is a certified betrayal trauma coach and the author of three books about pornography addiction, including He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An Expert and Former Addict Answers Your Questions. Since 2018, Joshua has given more interviews about pornography addiction and betrayal trauma than anybody in the world. During his interviews, he does not portray an anti-porn message, but rather promotes the ideas that porn addiction spans all demographics and those with a problem should seek help before it's too late. After speaking openly about pornography addiction, he began receiving messages from wives, girlfriends, and mothers of addicts. As a result, he now speaks about the issue of working through betrayal trauma, especially with the partners of addicts and those who are facing infidelity. Today, Josh is not only recovering from a 24-year pornography addiction, he's also been sober since 2014. When he's not speaking, coaching, or helping others, you'll find Joshua in central Maine and his wife and two children. Oh, had so much fun with Joshua, asking him all sorts of crazy questions, talking about uh, my thoughts on porn and my history and his history and even what we should be doing with our children our young children as it relates to pornography addiction prevention and addressing the issue in our in our homes we talked about different resources for people and symptoms and signs and what we think is going to happen in the future as a result of this pandemic we covered it all it was incredible I love Joshua he's just such a an expert and honest, authentic guy who talks about these issues. And it's just so important. We need someone out there blazing the trail. So I am really grateful for Josh's time and I hope you enjoy and learn lots in this episode. All right. Episode 113, let's do this. So uh, the first thing that I want to do before we really get into this, because I have lots of questions and stuff that I'd love to talk to you about, is we have a bad haircut photo that we ask our guest to send us. And you sent us one that it. I'm pretty sure that that's Stone Cold Steve Austin. It is
1: Stone Cold Steve Austin. I love the way that you acted like you weren't sure.
0: Not sh- well, you know. It's funny. I thought you were Stone Cold Steve Austin in the photo. I wasn't sure that at would, first. That would be cool. Yeah, so I, I I I did have some confusion around it. So this is yeah. 1997, and yes. uh, how did you meet Mr. Austin?
1: I was actually doing some freelance writing for what was then known as World Wrestling Federation Magazine. And I did a little bit of uh, other freelance work for them. So I got to travel around and I saw a lot of pay-per-views, a lot of tv tapings other special events i kind of worked a lot of the big shows in the northeast corner of the u.s and that picture was taken in chicago the day before wrestlemania 13 i believe it was and i think we're up to like 35 or 36 now so this was a long time ago and uh, i just look at myself in that suit and that grateful dead tie and the little beard and the little glasses and the, you know, quaffed hair and just, I don't know what I was going for. It's, it's, it's not just a bad haircut. It's just a bad look.
0: <laughs> it's the it's first bag. I can send you my bad look photo. Um, yeah. you look exactly like my, uh, teacher that I had in high school. I have, I'm going to find a picture of him. You literally look exact. I, I wasn't sure if it was him. What subject? He taught current affairs wow, that
1: was my favorite teacher in my high school. And he was just, yeah, absolutely wonderful. So if I look like a current events teacher somewhere out there, I think that's a great thing.
0: Um, I have to send you a picture of this teacher because he, he, shout out to Kevin, um, he was... He wore Grateful Dead and tie-dye. He started a nonprofit called Positive Town in San Francisco. So definitely yeah. going to send you a picture of him after this, I was, I, I looked at it and I was like, he's a porn addict thinking to myself, you know, about my, my teacher.
1: That's, that's I part mean, of my message who, who might've yep. been also
0: who might've been. Yeah. So you do, you, you were, I, we are a journalist, right? I'm, I'm sure that never, that piece of you never goes away. Um, I think it's like that,
1: riding a bike.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. So, and I was listening to a couple other podcasts that you've done. You've been in porn recovery for seven years. Yes. Is it seven years still. Right. And one thing that I heard you talk about was in, in one of your uh, podcasts was Patrick Carnes. And I am an alumni of the Meadows. Did you oh, go nice. to the Meadows for treatment?
1: I did not because I got a better deal through my really bad insurance um, at the Sante Center just outside of Dallas. I looked at the Meadows. You know, I looked at uh, Sierra Tucson. I looked at... uh, At the time, uh, what's his name? Weiss still had his deal out in L.A. So I looked at at, for what was available at the time. I looked everywhere and uh, Sante Center because, like I said, I had such bad insurance. That was the uh, that was really my only choice.
0: Well, you know, I want to preface this conversation with a little bit of um, information about my knowledge center, which will give you some background into the questions that I ask you, which is that I went to treatment for drugs and alcohol multiple times <laughs> first. congratulations and Thank you. And then I could not stay sober. And so I went for sex and love addiction to the meadows. Now what turned out for me was love addiction. Really? It was more as my husband always jokes. He's like, let's be real. It's love addiction. But, uh, It was, we had different groups at the Meadows where you were there for alcohol, you were there and you were different colors, right? And so sex and love addiction was orange. Two of my friends in our group got married, true story. And uh, I was like, everything they
1: warn you against. yeah,
0: Yeah. I was like, guys, this is, you literally can't write this. Like you (laughs) actually can't write this. You're leaving love. Okay. And then we had the silver group, which was sex addiction. And we had... We had groups with the silver group and I got to sit in group with some of the silver, the sex addiction people, including some who had, um, who had been looking at child porn, but hadn't done anything yet. And they wanted, they were trying to get well before you know they they acted on it and and one thing that you talked about in your talks is the st- are the statistics around sexual emotional physical abuse in you know you talk about it in men but i'm it's i think it's honestly probably the same in women that I have
1: a feeling you're right
0: that category of you know of of struggle and how that how basically i think it, it Correct me. I think it's 80% have emotional, 90%... No, no. Nine, no? Nine, oh.
1: It's just over 70% have physical abuse in their background. Got it. I believe it's 82% has sexual abuse in their background. Okay. And, and I have seen two different numbers associated with this specific study. 94 or 97% wow. have some kind of emotional, emotional or mental trauma.
0: Do you ever think about the 3% that like, what the fuck? Happened, you know. Yes, <laughs> Cause I did. I, actually I was had... like, what happened?
1: <laughs> I actually, I actually, probably about six, seven months ago, my therapist, who she and I talk now a lot more like colleagues than like yeah, yeah. Uh, patient and, and uh, client, and I was asking her. I said, you know, have you had any of these people sit down? I know that there were plenty of alcohol, not plenty, but there is, there is, you know, a double digit amount of alcoholics who don't have any, uh, right? You know, trauma in their background. A lot of video game addicts don't have trauma in their background. A lot of gambling addicts don't have trauma in their background but just about everybody when it comes to sex does except for this like three to five percent have you ever had one of these people and she said she did once and they spent about a year trying to figure out where it came (laughs) from and in the end they just kind of reached the same conclusion it was just one of those things and there was unless he was completely utterly lying which she didn't think She and she said it fits because she's probably had over a hundred, you know, uh, people who have had 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 sexual addiction, pornography addiction issues, and uh, she said he was the one. So I I guess it's probably correct, and you know, it's it's in some ways I guess it's probably more frustrating because at least I can specifically point to things that happened.
0: My question. So I had all these questions, right? At first, I was like, okay, so I'm looking up. I've, 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 you know, I know about, I know about sex, right? We give sex for love. We give love for sex, right? These are things, terms we hear when it ter- talks yeah, about and, sex and addiction. I, I, will th-
1: I will throw out to you that I have been to many SLAA meetings and there were many things that I found myself identifying with in the SLAA program more than the SAA program.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's an emotional, right? We're having an emotional connection. Yeah. I, Okay. So one thing is there's something called internet porn addiction. Is there a magazine porn addiction? Like what is, is there like a physical, cause we don't have, I mean, actually I should rephrase that. Let me reframe. Does porn come printed anymore? I think so.
1: I mean, I, I, I find a bookstore. Um, I, 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 I know, You know, one of the things that people missed in the first few months of the pandemic that I actually my last book was about the porn industry during their pandemic is Playboy went out of business. People don't even really recognize that because so much else was going on. I imagine that they're still printing it. I don't know if it's still a big seller here in the U.S., but, you know, I'm sure it's still a big seller elsewhere. I don't like separating all the different kinds of porn addiction. I've heard internet porn, I've heard high speed internet oh. porn, like like before when I was dialing up that right, wasn't right, the right, real stuff. Right. Oh uh, man. You know, and the the thing that I always no broadband. Uh, yeah the thing that I always address with people is that there are there are two things that are pornography. one we can all agree on it's the triple x stuff. it's people having sex. It's designed specifically to titillate uh your sex organs, your mind it is there's there's no other way to you know call it x-rated or triple x rated. We know porn when we see it now there's the other stuff and i I, I always give this instance is that. I've got a daughter. She's she turns twenty two next week, and um, my wife. They got Victoria's Secret catalogs for years,
0: oh, and yeah.
1: and and women in lingerie never did it for me. That was never my thing. So for me, Victoria's Secret catalogs are junk mail. They are crap that fills up the end mm. tables in the living room or the coffee right, right. table. You right. you know, I don't know why. They're, they're going out of business, from what I've heard, or they're losing a lot of business. And I have a feeling a lot of it's because they killed a lot of trees and spent too much money on catalogs. But, but anyway, it did nothing for me. When I was in rehab in Texas, I met a man who talked about how the the typical triple x pornography did nothing for him Mm. he like he liked you know teasing type stuff and he really liked lingerie what did he list as his biggest weakness when it came to pornography Victoria's Secret catalogs so that's one thing that when people talk about the variations of pornography to me pornography is a very individual thing it is anything that you use whether it's whether it's visual or it could be written Uh, you know Mm. people like erotic literature you know Lady Chatterley's Lover Tropic of Capricorn Cancer that kind of stuff you can listen
0: uh, 50 Shades of Grey Try listening to that on audiobook. I tried listening to that on audiobook. I was like, good Lord, someone's gonna hear this. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> that, turn this and, down. but
1: but if there are people getting off to that isn't totally. that pornography as well, even though it's only audio. So yeah, you know, whether whether it's a you know good housekeeping magazine or a vanity fair or a hustler, doesn't really matter if you're using it for the same
0: reason. Right. Right. Cause it's about, you know, and I think I think I heard you say this, but You know, porn, I I suppose people would disagree with me on this. I personally don't think porn is inherently bad. I think, you know, the same way I don't think alcohol or even cocaine is inherently bad. Cocaine isn't going to jump up off the table and stab you. It's what happens when we put that into our system, into our psyche and how that affects us.
1: I would actually say uh, pornography is even more normal and natural. You go back to, you know, caveman times, you can find pornography on the walls. You go into any museum and you go to their ancient Egyptian exhibit and look at some of the pottery and you're going to see some pretty, you know, scrambled porn level stuff on some of that stuff. You know, it's, it's always been around the desire to express sexuality in the written form, in the photographic form, in the audio form, has always been there. That's one of the reasons why I say I am not necessarily anti-pornography. And we can get into the sticky wickets of the production of pornography and all that, but as, a, as an entity, I am not against it if it can be used, if it can be used responsibly, because we are never going to be rid of it. You look at the conservative groups of the 60s, 70s, 80s, or some of the radical feminist groups of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, for all of their screaming and yelling and, and trying to make arguments about banning pornography, there is more pornography now than ever. Those arguments didn't work. and. I I don't know that there is an argument that would work. You tell me how many people look at pornography and really care that people are being trafficked who they don't know, who they don't care about, who they're not thinking about in that moment. Trafficking is freaking evil and nasty if you look if you look into it at all. But I don't think it stops, I don't think it stops anybody from looking at porn. I don't think the story of the poor porn actor or actress who is doing this for drugs because they have a problem, you know, really affects anybody. You know, you want, you want to talk about people who are depressed, you want to talk about people who have drug problems, you want to talk about people who didn't have good upbringings. Walk into any big box restaurant and go into the kitchen and you're gonna find everybody meeting that criteria. You know, it's not just porn stars who have bad jobs and shit and shitty lives oh yeah no kidding i mean i would not (laughs) want to be on a car trip with anybody at that drive-thru just give me my tasty fries and let me move on but you know that that's the that's that's really kind of the point of it
0: right right no i i love that and i love that you're out there talking about this i know that you are the the most interviewed person about this topic which I'm not even sure how that has to feel like you know but I I think it's, it's important it's something I
1: wanted back when I was 7 or 8 so it's nice to see a dream fulfilled <laughs>
0: I think figured i would like to be famous for my i didn't porn want to addiction. be a fireman i didn't want to
1: be an actor i i, I wanted to be the king of porn addiction
0: <laughs> yes exactly exactly there, here seven, i am i am seven years off porn and yes. i am famous for it
1: yes yes
0: <laughs> i love it but it's important you know it's important to talk about and and i think um some of the stuff i want to uh, talk to you you know your interestingly your alcoholism and your porn addiction your alcoholism masked your porn addiction and did you find tell us kind of about how you found your found out you had a porn addiction as a result of a drinking problem
1: yeah absolutely i mean i i first looked at porn when I was 12. I was addicted the moment I saw it. I It didn't take years. It took me about five seconds. When I saw porn for the first time at 12, I got this warm feeling rush over me. It was, it was interesting because one of my rehabs, there was a heroin addict who described the exact feeling the first time he used heroin that I saw pornography. I don't remember what was on the page exactly. I don't remember what the magazines were, but I do know that this feeling this feeling of calm, this feeling of peace, like I said, this feeling of warmth mm. just just came over me. Like, I have just found something here. I don't know what this is exactly. I don't know how, what's this. I found something. Two years later, I'm at a wedding and I got drunk for the first time. People weren't paying attention to all of the tables where they had poured champagne and people weren't sitting. Um, I don't know if they overcalculated how many would be there or what the problem was, but when nobody was paying attention, I went around for my first time ever and started just drinking champagne. And I, after a little, after, you know, I don't know how many of them, I started feeling great. And I realize this is why people do this. I am a better version of myself right now. I'm probably the best damn version of myself I've ever been. And at that point, it took me, like I said, I bet I was an I was an alcoholic within an hour of getting drunk for the first time. So when people when people say, you know, porn addiction isn't You know, a real addiction. It isn't the same as chemical addictions. I can honestly tell you that these two things hit me the exact same way. I don't know. I know that they didn't serve the same masters in my mind, but they hit me the same way. I really nursed this alcohol problem for years and years. And one of the things is that I think like a magician say, you know, doing something over here yet saying, look over here, Mm -hmm. my look over here, my look over here was the alcohol you know you it's you you stumble through your words you stumble as you're walking you you slur you smell like alcohol you sound like an idiot and it's not easy to hide pornography addiction is pretty darn easy to hide and uh, if you have been hiding it since you're 12 years old well there's really no challenge to hiding it when you're 30 you've mastered that but you can't Really hide alcoholism because there are physical attributes to it. So people understood my alcoholism. People knew about my alcoholism, and it over a period of several months came to a head. I ended up in rehab in California. Basically, you know, it, it's there was at how old thirty seven. I, I had just turned thirty seven, and uh, I was shipped out there and I thought to myself, okay, I'll do this. I'll spend 28 days. I'll get my little certificate like Mm -hmm. uh, Sandra Bullock did in the movie and I'll come back and it'll all be, it'll all be good. It probably took me seven or eight days, but all of a sudden something clicked and it was like, Oh, I am exactly the alcoholic they're talking about here. I am why this whole thing exists. I am their target customer. I get this. So I started paying. Like I said, after about a week, I started paying some real attention and recognizing that oh my lord, they are talking about me exactly. <laughs> these so problems, it's. these stories, <laughs> these you know, this is this is me exactly. I am this drunk guy that they're talking about, and uh, I had one-on-ones a couple times a week with my caseworker, who was the uh, manager of the entire program. And I was I was very honest with you know my lifestyle. And I, I knew that I was a bit of a workaholic. I knew that I did look at a lot of porn. But he had me meet with a certified sex addiction therapist off campus from the alcohol rehab facility in Palm Springs. And I met with this guy a couple hours, twice a week. I think my last four weeks I was there. And that was just like an amazing revelation. He helped me realize that, you know, why I had been using pornography. It was not just as see naked people, you know, what, <laughs> what, what was the, what was the reason I was using it? What, you know, what were those flashes I was having? Because I was starting to remember some of these abusive memories that happened to me when I was a young kid at a babysitter's, and they, they were starting to come back a bit before I sought treatment, and which was one of the reasons why I was open to it, because... I knew there was stuff back there. So he made me realize that that, you know, there was that trauma from that abuse. Um, He helped me recognize that, you know, I had a pornography addiction. Pornography addiction was a real thing. It's not the same as intercourse addiction because I never went down that road, but that it was a legit thing that I needed to deal with. So I came home to Maine after 70 days. It wasn't wasn't 4 weeks, it was 10 weeks I spent in Palm Springs. And I came home and I started meeting with the therapist who who I who I'd started with shortly before I left for that first rehab. We went in tense for that next year. I mean, it was several times a week, several hours each time. I thankfully had the resources that I didn't have to go work full time. I could do freelance writing from my home and and make ends meet. So I spent so much time researching and learning and, and finding out as much about pornography addiction and sex addiction in general as I could. That's just my journalist background. I'm a research geek. You know, I can sit there and read the academic journals and enjoy them, but I know other people can't. So, you know, I was, I kept talking to her about how there was nothing out there about this and how I don't know if I'm getting all the information. And so she suggested, and it made sense to me, why not go to a rehab for sex and pornography? Despite the fact I hadn't looked at it in a year, I clearly had trauma issues that I was still connecting. There were issues, you know, they're there. There could have been other issues surrounding sexuality with me, which turned out there really wasn't, but that, I, I went to Texas in the summer of two thousand fifteen, like I said, a year after I'd looked at porn, but I really got to focus on that with specialists. I got to be around other people for the first time who had dealt with that. I'd never been to a I'd been to AA, but I'd never been to another twelve step meeting. And while I, I don't go now, I do think that there is a strong basis and and a strong uh, platform upon which the, the programs are founded. But I ultimately uh, recognized just what a major piece of this of, of, of my life going back to three, four, five years old sexuality had been and how maladaptive it had been for a lot of the time, especially with uh, visual aids, with with pornography. And, uh, you know, I made the decision that if I was going to keep my family, if I was going to keep the few friends I had left, and if I was going to finally live the life that I kind of knew I could, kind of always wanted to, but had just always gone down the wrong roads looking for the wrong things, um, I was going to have to get my act together. And thankfully, um, I did. And I started giving interviews and writing books and doing this kind of stuff. And it's it's all sort of perpetuated from there.
0: You have talked about um, sexual abuse from a babysitter early on. Can you tell us what you're comfortable with telling us about that and, and and what your treatment has shed light on and how that relates to probably priming those neural pathways for needing this excitement and anything that you've learned about that?
1: That's exactly it. A lot of times uh, I know people very well who have had horrific, nightmarish sexual sexual abuse. You know, we're talking violent rapes as children. I thankfully never experienced any of that. And so I sometimes hesitate to to say abuse and I say, you know, severe inappropriateness. And there there were there were there were many times. Most of what I remember is what I witnessed happening to other children um, mm. while I was there. I had a younger brother there. I was there from, you know, very young age, a couple months old up till about seven. He was there he was two years younger than me, to put that in perspective. And there this was a, a daycare lot- It wasn't a real daycare. It was a woman uh, who lived a mile from my house who took care of a lot of teachers' children. My parents were both elementary school teachers, and she had a reputation for taking care of teachers kids so there was usually between three and six kids there depending on who was being taken care of at the time and there were things like I remember at four years old she called me in to see uh, one of the little girls she was changing who wasn't out of diapers yet she wanted me to see that little girl's genitals and then she wanted me to touch them under the idea that this is to show you how girls are different and you know and and I don't recall it going beyond me she yeah. just telling me to do that but You know, I I don't, I don't know what else I also, you know, I remember her, her daughter was 18 or 19 years old. Um, and this is, this is actually the story where I think a lot of my issues stem from her daughter was 18 or 19 years old. I hated her mother, uh, just an mm. evil, not, I don't want to say evil, I want to say very sick woman who was, was very uh, inconsistent with her caretaking. So I loved it when I could, I was usually one of the oldest kids there. This happened when I was five or six. I was hanging out in her room with her. And uh, she had to get ready to go to work. She worked at a department store in town. And I was with her on her bed. And I remember she told me to turn around. Right. So I couldn't see her change. She went to the closet And me being a precocious five or six-year-old, I recognized if I looked just perfectly at the mirror on her bureau, I could see what was happening over by the closet. But Mm -hmm. me also being a five-year-old who's not super slick, it was quite obvious as I was moving my butt along her bed what I was trying to see. And uh, she caught me pretty quickly. And I thought that she would be really pissed off. And she she really wasn't and she just said you know what are you doing and i i don't know she said you know have you, have you ever seen a woman naked and said, no and she told me to come over to her and i went over and she kind of dropped her bra down to her elbows and she asked me if i'd ever touched a breast before which you know every 5-year-old but me but i uh, i uh, i said no and uh, so she let me for like 2 seconds And then she put her bra back on, and and that that was that. She told me, don't tell my mother or she will kill both of us. Don't tell your parents or they will kill both of us, which I kind of knew was correct. But I will tell you, those two seconds when I had my hands on her breasts were probably the most sexually charged two seconds of my life. I think that was like the Hoover Dam of dopamine breaking. Hmm. and flooding my mind and probably through my entire addiction after that, that's what I was looking for was that same initial chasing that that first high that I got when she went as a five year old, this, this 18 or 19 year old, let me touch her breasts. And it was one of those things where it took me a long, long time to view that as a level of abuse. Yeah. And, I still talk about it, and I'm like, you know, I really liked it at the time. It felt really good at the time. I understand how it likely had ripple effects through my life, um, but... It was, it was one of those confusing things because I'm not supposed to tell anybody about this. I know this is taboo. I know this is bad, but this feels so great. This feels better than anything I've ever felt before. And again, this is me at five, six years old. So, you know, maybe when I finally see a porno magazine at 12 years old, oh my God, here it is. It's not in real life, but it's right here right. in front of me again. And I remember how great I felt that first time. And when I had that warm feeling come over me, it wasn't the same feeling, but it felt pretty damn good.
0: It's interesting, and I love talking about this because I think there are a lot of people out there like you and me who've had what's considered sexual abuse, and also it at the time did not. It wasn't like a violent rape, right? It wasn't a. It wasn't a something that you know a person we didn't know, or it wasn't there. Like there are these things, and I love this severe inappropriateness where you have a situation that yeah in the moment you have no context you're 5 you know you have no right. and 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 my my childhood abuse happened at 5 as well and for you just don't really understand it's just like you know something's different but you don't really understand. And when, when you look back at it as an adult, there's so much context you can add to it about the person, about you, about what you took. But in the moment, I mean, when, when we start to talk about these things, I think there are a lot of people out there who don't realize the effect of that two seconds, right? That, that, oh, that and, yeah, and it's a neurological change. Yeah, that's what we're talking about—the—the—the the, the neurons. And I always say, I, I talk a lot about how I, I actually talk about this as it relates to pedophilia and sex offenders. Like we have so many children that are being sexually abused. The numbers are insane. We have to talk about the fact that there are so many people attracted to prepubescent children. Like, why aren't we talking about that? We have to talk about it because we are only talking about treating it after the fact. Nobody wants to talk about treating, like being well, we able we to pretend address it.
1: it we want to pretend it doesn't exist.
0: Right. And, Pedi- and that's pedophilia
1: just- is one of those words uh I think a lot like like pornography, like Hitler that we're afraid to say out loud because if you simply say the word out loud, you're worried that people see it as an endorsement and right. You know, right, and, and, and I know and I know you as a professional understand what pedophilia actually is. So when, you know, a guy is attracted to a seventeen year old post pubescent female and somebody's like, Oh man, he's a pedophile. You can turn uh, and say, "Well, no, he's actually ludicrous. not a pedophile. Yeah, he's not a yeah. pedophile. Here is the science behind it, and then you're the person who suddenly knows way too much science about pedophilia. Totally. Uh, pe- pe-
0: oh my God, I, pedophiles! I love you. So, you.
1: so you don't want to be you don't want to be that deliverer, you know? And you don't want oh, you know, pedophiles should all go to jail. Well, actually, they shouldn't until they break the law." Yeah. That's right. That's, right. There's our, our, there's a should not process. go to jail until they light a fire. <laughs> right.
0: Um, right. And there's there's I, I love it because it's like I'm I you know, I'm careful about what I say because I don't want to sound like I'm I'm, <laughs> you know, endorsing pedophilia. But right, I do. Exactly. You know, like like here's the deal. Barely legal porn. Nobody has a problem with that. Guess what? They go out and look for, you know, young girls that look under eighteen, they could be a day over, and suddenly that's legal. We used to, we 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 women are able. We used to have children at fifteen. You know, we societally we have changed the rules. Fine, fine. We we'll, we 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 accept that. We 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 go along with it. Yeah. Fine. That's culture. But let's yeah. Let's be real. You. You know, I could have a baby way before you know I was allowed to be interested in anything, and and that there's a piece that we're not talking about that we're that's a cultural thing, and that's a a, those are the the rules we've decided to follow. What we're talking about is prepubescence, right? Exactly. Nobody wants to talk about that attraction, and I think that one of the things I like to say when I do have these conversations is something changed in the brain when, as it related to sexuality. And I think that's the case with porn. I think that's the case with any kind of daddy issues or anything. You know, there's something changes when you're, when, when I speak for myself, something changed in my brain as it wired around sexuality, because I, my sexuality was being triggered in a way that it, it, for the first time ever. So, you know, what fires together, wires together. And I think that's so many people, when they look back at their childhood, oh, I, you know, I made out with my cousin, or I blah, 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 but it wasn't abuse. Maybe not, but it definitely wired, if it's your first sexual experience, if it's your first sexual interaction or exposure, it is wiring in your brain and that matters.
1: No, absolutely, in the, uh... You know, early to late 80s, when I was, again, six, seven, eight, nine years old, you know, back when kids played outside, there was a ton of kids in my very residential neighborhood, and we played every game you can think of, including strip tag (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, with strip tag, you catch the person, everybody goes, you know, behind the shed, they quickly flash, and then we go back to playing. And it seemed, you know, it seems like just a little punishment that comes with a little game. But, you know, looking back, it's like, that's, that's curiosity, but was that curiosity for all the kids there? You know, I don't think that did anything to harm me long-term specifically, mainly mainly because I've got all these other great stories. But uh, uh, Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I, uh, I wonder if those, some of those other kids, was that a sexualization moment? Was that something that was unhealthy for them? You know, I, I, I don't feel bad or I don't, you know, and any of that stuff, but I wonder if some of those moments that we have in our lives, um, you know, do scar, do leave marks, do, you know, change us for, for, you know, better or worse, you know, is subjective. They just objectively change us and change the chemistry.
0: They change the chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that, that'll be the thing that, you know, the difference between the guy probably who likes Victoria's Secret and the triple X and, you know, it, it, all the different things, right? All the different gradations of, of addiction. And you talk about this and as do I, which is addiction is addiction is addiction, right? Like if it causes, you know, I was thinking about this as it relates to my own experience, you know, the exposure to porn, like, okay, so I've been to AVN, if you know what that is. I've been nice. to, which is, nice. yeah, like it would be, yeah.
1: you know what, you know, what? like my, one of my nightmares is, and I'm going to admit this for yeah, the yeah. first Tell time me. ever on your show. Oh, it's like, if yes. I was given that golden ticket to the AVN yeah, awards yeah, yeah. right now, I would, yeah, 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 I would yeah. have to play the game of, oh my goodness, that's disgusting. I would never do anything like that. And meanwhile, inside of me is 22 year old Josh going, oh my God, this is better than the golden ticket to the Willy Wonka factory.
0: Right, right. And, and see for me, so I had a boyfriend that was really like, I guess, I mean, maybe he was a porn addict. I don't know. And we, so we went to Vegas, we went to AVN. How I, far I've did you to- have to
1: travel? Did you live in North Vegas or did you have to travel? <laughs>
0: no, no. I lived in Prescott, Arizona.
1: Okay. So he was a porn addict. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we went, um, it he took a
1: road out. trip and his girlfriend to go see porn. So
0: well, we were like, you know, we were, you know, we, there were porn stars that we, we liked or whatever. I mean, I wasn't really into, I was like, I don't know. I, I it, again, it never did much for me. So it wasn't, but we, I, I've definitely been exp- plenty exposed, have enough exposure, both in person and, and, you know, seeing porn, whatever I, like i'm somewhere middle of the road like great if great if they're great if not great
1: no my, my, my tastes were very very vanilla it, It's i i sit in rooms with certain people who are porn addicts and i'm just oh, oh my yeah. goodness yeah, 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 you yeah. look at that you know
0: yeah i'm like oh my fuck that can't even naked, yeah that, naked that's...
1: naked naked people on a beach was enough for me i didn't need them right. wearing diapers or having fish sticks <laughs> thrown at them while leprechauns totally. sang songs
0: so I I know that there's a lot of different stuff. and, And so I was thinking about it as it relates to my experience, which, you know, is significant, I guess. And, you know, I think it's really, it comes back to that addiction thing. Is it making your life unmanageable? Is it preoccupation? Is it none of that? That was not, no, is not making my life unmanageable. It was a, it was a, you know, like a eye candy, like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, cool. Whatever. And I could take it or leave it. No interest. Like what I look at for people with alcohol and drugs, like their level of moderation, like, Ooh, cool. It's here or Ooh, cool. It's not something I don't understand when it comes to substance that is what we're talking about with porn addiction, right? It causes problems, right? It it, it hurts relationships. It uh, is a preoccupation. Maybe it's something we spend money on, something we hide. Those are those are the indicators of addiction. Is there something other than that when we think about porn or when you talk to your coaching and porn recovery that you say, do you do this? Or do you like, you know, the seven questions? How do you how do you identify beyond what the rest of us identify with our other, yeah. with, you know, with chemicals? Well, I,
1: I, I let them decide if they're an addict or not. You know, it's a label. I, I, call yourself whatever you want what i talk to them about is is their use of pornography you know what is the motivation for using it is it it's been a hard day you know is this this is like a drink after work because you may not think you're an alcoholic but needing a drink every day after work and fiending and feeling you know almost sick not having that that drink after work that that's a red flag and there are lots of little red flags there are lots of little habits we have that maybe don't cross into addiction quite but you add up these habits and it does get there the thing that you know i i will say is that you know because of those statistics especially when i'm working with a man but even when i'm working with with a woman there is almost always abuse there like we said earlier that 3% where there's not i go into it assuming that they have some kind of trauma from some kind of abuse. And the thing, the thing that I, I, I have found is that ultimately it's about a feeling of not being under control of your own mind. And I think that's true for every, like you said, you know, addiction is addiction is addiction. 95% of what happens in the mind is exactly the same from addict to addict. Porn addiction, I'm not going to, you know, lose my house the way I will with gambling addiction. You know, I, I won't get carpal tunnel the way that I did, I would with video game addiction. You know, I won't potentially, you know, blow my brain apart with, as I might with meth addiction, but All addiction takes place between the ears. Just because I'm a porn addict or a sex addict doesn't mean the addiction takes place between my legs. It still takes place between my ears in my brain. And that's what we have to get people to realize. Even with standard addictions that maybe are more acceptable in society, like alcoholism, we need people to realize this is not because these people love the taste. This is not even because it makes these people feel good for the moment. These people are alcoholics because something else, likely happened and they need some kind of escape from it and this is what millions of us have found. We find a behavior or we find a substance and then we just descend upon it like jackals, like vultures. And before we recognize it, we've devoured whatever's there and we need more. And it doesn't matter. Our job, our family, our friends, our time, w- the other things we value. This becomes number one, two, and three priority. And uh, you satisfy that demon You know that won't quiet in your mind unless you feed it whatever it needs for the for the addiction you get a little bit of time there of, of of feeling okay and then it's just keep repeating it by the time you realize you're an addict it's too late you know when it comes to pornography usually there's abuse usually there's some kind of uh sexual uh i don't want to say deviance but some kind of incident or behaviors that haven't the that The average person doesn't experience usually, you know, at a younger age. And I find a lot of times with pornography, with sex addiction, and even with betrayal trauma, which is one of the reasons I branched out into coaching on that, is that all you have to do is sit there and the person knows exactly what they want to talk about. They want to talk about that time when they were 11 years old and the two boys on the playground you know, touched you inappropriately, or they want to talk about when they got away from their aunt or uncle who were handsy, or something happened you know, when they were 12 they did something sexual with the same gender and they've always wondered about their sexuality since, you know, if, if, I I, I hate to break any giant uh, secretive bubbles, but coaching is not that hard. I think I learned how to do it when I was a journalist. You ask a question and then you sit and listen to the answer. And you don't just wait for your turn to talk. You sit and you listen to the answer. And they're usually telling you exactly what they want to talk about. And that's, you know, whatever direction they want to take the, the pornography talk in, that's fine. Once they recognize that they're not going to be judged that i probably saw everything they saw that you know i and when when i'm dealing with betrayal trauma uh victims it's that i was the guy who did a lot of the betrayal you know when it came to my wife but i was also betrayed by others when i was young so i've seen both sides of it you know it's it's just about relating it's just about talking it's one of the reasons i liked the 12 steps early on was because hey i'm not alone this is the first time i'm realizing this and nobody here is going like oo gross when i say something or looking looking like they're judging me and that was a big part of early recovery was understanding i was not alone and understanding there were people i could talk openly and genuinely about some of these skeletons in my closet with
0: yeah absolutely i think that's um, I think it's really, really, you know, it's clear that you've had a lot of those experiences. Because I too, you know, you sit and you listen, and they they kind of lead you in that that direction. When you when you do your coaching, and when you have, you know, over the course of your recovery, what are some things you know I could? I, I my example would be in working with alcoholics and drug addicts. I would say people have DUIs. They start hiding their alcohol. They hide their bottles, right? They move around the recycling. They, what are some of the little like things that start to happen for pornography addicts that are specific to that? It, would it be like clearing your browser history? Like a, well, a little things. What if if
1: if clearing your browser history of porn is is a sign of addiction, we've got a much bigger problem than we uh because
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I have a you're feeling right,
1: you're right. I have a feeling there's probably only about five percent of browsers out there with an open history of porn. Um, <laughs> obviously, obviously that's a sign that you're hiding it. The question is why are you hiding right. it? You know, and, and one of the interesting things is when I do coaching, a lot of the men who I coach who have issues with pornography are sent to me by their wives who I'm working with for betrayal trauma and it's it's kind of funny because they don't truly wrap their arms around the fact that they may have an issue because they don't think they do yet their wife is screaming that they're an addict and when I start talking to them it becomes clear in a few minutes these guys aren't addicts at all they're just kind of assholes They, you know, their wife has told them repeatedly, I don't want you looking at porn. I disagree with porn, whatever her issues are. And they don't care. So they look. That doesn't make them an addict. That just makes them somebody who doesn't care what their wife has to say. And unfortunately, I have to deliver that news to the to the wives sometime.
0: No, I appreciate that. Yeah,
1: because I'm I'm sorry, but this you know your your guy is not an addict. You know, an, an addict is someone who at 7 a.m. can tell you I have a 20 minute window before between 10 and 10:20, 10 uh, I will come home an hour before my wife. That will give me a 45 minute window just to make them sure I'm safe on either side. And then she's going off to bed at 10:30, so by 11:11:15, 11, 11 I can look again. There's my porn schedule for the day. Let me figure out how the rest of my life life works in. You know, that's the number one thing is that is that is the f- first thing you're thinking about that's the first, you know, need. Let's say that you are getting, you know, that that twitchy feeling that you need it. Not you're it's not that you're horny, it's not that you want to have sex. You're just getting that twitchy feeling that you need those chemicals in your brain.
0: Can we stop right there? I want to ask you a question about that. Okay. So you're you're not horny and you not it has it's not about sex. No, no, not at all. But you want to watch sex. Can, okay, help me understand. Okay.
1: I believe that, and this is, this is we'll never know this for sure but i believe that when i was a kid now um i don't know if you heard on any of the other podcasts that i've spoken more about the babysitter at she had real problems and she would do things like put me in a back room that was completely black i might be there for 10 minutes i might be there for an hour i don't know there were things that i was forced to do my brother at one point he was potty training and he we showed up in the morning at her house he had wet his underwear between my parents' house and her house. She made him strip down uh, from the waist down. She put him on a kitchen table, and the three or four kids there, including me, were all had to go like shame, 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 shame. And I didn't want to do that. And when I tried stopping, she threatened to do that to me. So she was a she was a very very sick woman, and I think that's I think that's what almost all of this comes back to that i was i had her and then i had my parents who were traumatized by their families i three out of four alcoholics there i think that as a kid i saw a lot or i felt very not in control of what was happening to me i felt like i was ceding control whether it was my parents or this babysitter but i didn't have control over my life And I believe when I started looking at porn regularly, that's when I started to develop into uh, more of a confident person. I believe I started to develop into more of an overachiever. And, And I'll tell you why is because when you look at porn or when I looked at porn as a sick person, it was about control. Think about it, whether it's whether it's a magazine or it's a screen. I'm looking, and there is a there are two Asian ladies. Well, that's not doing it for me right now. Ding. Okay. Well, there's there's a blonde lady with abnormally large breasts. Well, that's not doing it for
0: me today either. Ding. But wait, doing it for me? Isn't that's, that's that not sexual? hitting?
1: That's not hitting my. I'm sorry. That's just a colloquialism. That's not getting. No, no, no. The but I, I'm trying going. to. It's that's not getting but isn't the dopamine
0: the do- going. Isn't the dopamine related? It related to a sexual like like I guess you're what you're describing is, you know, it could be social media. It could be TikTok Right. What's the sexual piece?
1: Right. But what I will tell you is I I did not pleasure myself a lot of the time that I looked at porn. It's pretty much used exclusively for pleasuring for people who aren't addicts. If I only had 10 minutes in the car, I knew that I did not have enough time for the, you know, grand performance of, you know, masturbating to orgasm because it took me a while because, you know, there was a problem there, but. I would still look at porn. That would be, you know, like having an appetizer until I could have something later. And, and that's the thing, though, is that you are the master of your universe when you're looking at porn. You don't want to see what's on the page. You go to something else. And you know what? That that woman or that man on the computer screen, they are not going to tell you that you're not good looking enough. They're not going to tell you to take out the trash. They're not going to tell you you didn't work hard enough at your job today. They are there are there to be objects for you, and if you don't like those objects, you can hit a button and find some other objects. You are the master of your universe. That's what porn was to me. It was about control. I could... You know, I I never was at a lack of finding, you know, sexual companionship before I got married. I never had a, you know, any kind of massively droughtful, you know, sex life with my wife. That was very different. Actual intercourse was very, very different, was not the same thing. I mean, and I think that a lot of people, especially people who go through betrayal trauma, confuse the two because there's naked people and an orgasm involved. And that's really the that's really the only connection you know it has nothing to do with the betrayed uh 99 of the time at all you know
0: in fairness that is very confusing oh absolutely i i totally
1: get why it's confusing <laughs> but but like put, put it to you this something? way i became a porn addict at 12 years old how is my wife who i have met at 26 have anything to do with it
0: oh of course not of course not. you know that's like saying eats, you know yeah eats- I think one of the things i that I hear from from women uh, I, two things. number one, oh well, he looks at porn and th- because he that's what he wants he doesn't want me there's there's that one like it's like you know I don't want him looking at like I don't want him looking at porn without me because I don't want him looking at porn that it, like oh, he's looking at a blonde and I'm brunette or whatever. And then I hear, that porn is cheating because they are pretend they're they're you know thinking about having sex with this other person the assumption is that they're masturbating and that's the thing I that's why I wanted to stop you there because the assumption for the greater you know run of the mill average partner wife spouse that I hear is that they're masturbating i mean it i honest to god and a lot of time they are did but not,
1: it's it's not it's not
0: always it's not yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting to me. It reminds me very much of like how I look at, not, not that this is the same. This is always, been, this is how people describe when they're like, oh, I have a diet Coke addiction. That's a lot like when you were addicted to heroin. But I think about social media and social media is I have 10 minutes. I'm going to, you know, blast through that time looking at pictures and I can control, oh, I don't want to see that video. Oh, don't I and it, for for me it's about visual imagery it's about entertainment and it's about and i i was thinking about this on the way here to to interview was i blow a lot of valuable time like i i i do question how i interact with that visual media as causing other issues in my life, I would have more time. I would blah 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 blah. Or I, I mean, I don't think of, I don't plan my day around it, but it definitely has consequences. Blowing time.
1: You are giving the example that I give at every library, every speech, every church group, the TED Talk I did. Everything for people who don't understand addiction, what yeah. you need to do tomorrow is pick up your uh, smartphone, take a post-it note. Put it across the screen. After you've turned up all of the alarms, all of the alerts, turn everything as loud as you can. Then put your phone next to you with that Post-it note on the screen. If you're like a typical person, within five or ten minutes, there's some kind of chime, some kind of ding. Somebody liked your Snapchat or somebody's texting you or some other, you know, your friend just sent you three lives in candy crush. And you're going to want to look and see what it says. But you can't. You can't. You have to leave it like that. Five or ten more minutes go by, you're going to get something else. Maybe somebody liked a Facebook post, or maybe your phone actually rang. I I hear they do that. And maybe, you know, it's something else. Five more minutes, something else. Five more minutes, something else. The people who I know who have actually tried this usually only last about six or seven notices. Then they have to grab their phone and pull it off and see what they missed. Uh That, my friend, is addiction and people because right. just I, that's because what i was thinking on the way over is, here doesn't mean that you know yeah. it's nothing people are ridiculously addicted to their phones. I think they're addicted for, you know, you could say it's the attention. You can say it's the validation. You can say whatever the reason that people need to be on their phone so much. And I'm not saying I'm any better than anybody else. But for people who don't understand things like chemical addiction or process addictions, look at your relationship with your phone and try not to look at your phone and then multiply that by 50. And that's basically Basically how, how addiction feels.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that you use that because I mean, I was, you know, I, I, with all of my guests, I try to put myself in their shoes and, you know, think about how it would feel and, and different things. And okay. Addiction is when we have outcomes, when we're doing something that causes problems in our life. And I was thinking, oh, the scrolling, the, the control interest. It's very, I think it's very hard for at least, for the women I know, I can't speak for all women. Huh? Um, lucky for them, uh, but that you know, to not associate it with something sexual, like you're seeking something sex that that, that that piece is very difficult. And I absolutely understand that. And I've actually met quite a few
1: men who find out that they are not as addicted to pornography as they thought; they're addicted to masturbation. And there
0: is okay. There, there are, so what's the difference? I mean, I know what the difference is, but that's you tell me. the difference. It's it's you. Just, just the, the act. difference.
1: Well, what's the difference between uh, meth addiction and heroin addiction? Nothing. No, there, there is a big difference. It's, I mean, it's a different uh, the, substance. The, the, There's a different set of chemicals. Substance.
0: A different high. Yeah, different, high, different yes, set of chemical yes, things yes. going
1: on inside of you, and that's the same <laughs> different thing. Friends. And that's that's where I think that a lot of men. Go go wrong is because they look at pornography and uh, masturbation as one thing. It's 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 not a Reese's peanut butter cup. There's chocolate. There's peanut butter. We do use them together, but they are two separate entities. And while I have never tried this because I heard it long after it would be applicable to me, I've I've heard. Guys who are struggling, and I've actually you know, put this in a few different places, if you're struggling with pornography and masturbation, for the next two weeks, you're allowed to look at porn, but you can't masturbate to it. Conversely, you're allowed to masturbate, but you're not allowed to look at any visual aids you're going to find out within three days if you're addicted to one, the other, or both. In my case, I was addicted to pornography. I I enjoyed the masturbation. It felt good. But to me, masturbation was like the finish line. I found that perfect piece of porn that tickled my mind the way it needed to. And that's what you're going to hear again and again and again from pornography addicts. Now, I was lucky in that, it didn't take me too long to find something. But I've talked with so many men and some women who sit down at the computer for 20 minutes of looking at porn and masturbating and suddenly two hours are gone. I've talked to people who knew they were going to have a two-hour session and six or eight or 10 hours are gone. You're actually talking about people who injure themselves masturbating when you're talking about eight, 10, 12 hours of it. And the way that some people sit in front of a TV and play video games, Games for 16 hours. There are literally people who sit there and touch themselves to porn for 16 hours just waiting for that one perfect piece to do whatever it needs to do to the chemicals to push them over the edge so you have that orgasm because that's kind of like a checkered flag that says you're done.
0: Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. Hi.
2: It's Christiana, your producer. And if you're like me and you love coffee or coffee alternatives, you can now shop with the cause by visiting lionrock.life and clicking on shop. 100% of the profits fund substance abuse treatment for those who can't afford it. You can't really go wrong. We're now carrying, in addition to our amazing coffee, if you haven't tried it, matcha made in organic matcha powder. Love me some green tea. Golden Grind Turmeric Latte Blend, and Prana Chai Original Blend. So we've got something for everyone. We love mixing these delicious coffee alternatives with something like milk or almond milk, oat milk, or even just hot water. The organic matcha powder is vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, and simply delectable. The Turmeric Latte Blend, the winner of Australia's Best Beverage product in 2017, helps bring about relaxation and restoration while also nurturing your body. The Prana Chai, that has been my pregnancy craving, it's amazing, is blended in Melbourne from all natural ingredients and uses 100% Australian quality honey blended by hand with tea and whole spices. By shopping for coffee and coffee alternatives at lionrock.life, you are also helping provide substance abuse treatment for someone who can't afford it. Your favorite drink with a cause. So again, go to lionrock.life, click on shop. And you'll see our coffee and our brand new coffee alternatives. We hope that you enjoy it. Send us a picture. Maybe we will feature you on our Instagram as well.
0: How do those... You work with a lot of those people. What is it like trying to get them to into healthy sexual relationships? You know, do you pull any... Like, let's say that... Perfect piece of porn is related to a foot fetish. I don't know, I'm making it up. But do you, is it like we cut that out of our, that is not part of a sexual relationship? Or do people sometimes pull that into healthy sex? Like is, is the act ever moderated or part of it? Most. People yeah, it,
1: it does, uh, but but it's not super applicable. Most people who have a porn addiction have run through a hundred and one different genres. Because much like when you're an alcoholic and you need to switch from beer to wine or wine to whiskey, you know, the use of pornography changes because gee, all of a sudden, you know, blonde girls aren't doing it for me anymore. And I need an orgy scene. And and I mean, and I have seen I have seen so much that you know, that never did it for me. Like, oh, okay, old people in diapers, that this is not going to be on my list of g- come back and see this. And, and, <laughs> and, but for some people uh, it is. Backup. And, and the thing is, you kind of search for what it is you need that day. Um, one of my, one of my, you know, issues was always movie. Nudity. You know, I I spent so much time looking at you know movies from the U.S. and and abroad, not porno movies, just regular movies or art movies.
0: Just like regular and movies. one of the
1: things I had to do, and I share this uh, story with guys who are starting out because this is an individualized journey. But you know, when I started to get into recovery, when I went to the movies, and this goes to cognitive behavioral therapy. I'd go to the movies and my natural instinct was to see a good looking actress on the screen, screen And be, I wonder if she's been naked in any other movies. So, you know, or, or if I was at home, you know, Oh, well, I just grabbed the laptop and type in Mr. Skin and see what you can find. And I would do that just all the time. It was a completely normal activity for me. This is one of those things that scratched that itch pretty consistently. I didn't have to change this up very much, but When it came time to recovery, I knew that this was one of, you know, I didn't have to do any work to get over the old people in diapers because that wasn't a problem. But the problem was regular, the problem was regular movies. So if I went to the movie theater, what I had to do was I'd kind of play it out in my head. Okay, here is Jane Doe. She's gorgeous. I wonder if she's been in any other movies. Okay, well, you can't look right now because you're at the movie theater. But when you get home, you could look. Well, what happens if you look? Well, Maybe Jane Doe wasn't in any movies. That's fine because you're going to find somebody else on that page when you're at Mr. Skin that catches your attention. Okay, well, maybe Jane Doe was nude in some movies. And you find them. What are you going to see? You're going to see a naked woman just like, you know, every other woman out there under her clothes. I have seen, you know, enough naked people in my life to know they come in every shape, size, color, you know, angle, whatever. (laughs) And, uh, and... I can basically tell you she probably has a vagina and breasts and a butt, and I can see her hands, so I'm sure they connect uh, shoulders, and I bet she has knees, and you know everybody's kind of built the same, so it's kind of I had to sort of demystify the nudity part of it for myself, and then it was a matter of okay, well if I do find her, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to look for other actresses. Maybe I'll get off actresses and find something else. So I don't want to sit down at the computer and start looking at this. Okay. Don't do that. So when you get home, you got to make sure, no, don't do this. It's going to end up in looking at porn. You're just going to go back there. It's easy to go one time. It's even easier to go a second time. Don't go back there despite the fact that you think you can get it under control because you know eventually you won't. Okay, don't do this. And eventually, after enough times, it's like muscle memory. And... I can see a nude scene in a movie now, and it doesn't really do much for me. I couldn't do that a month after recovery. But now that I'm over seven years into it, it's like, okay, that's a naked actress. And well, I've taken care of most of the trauma that pushed me to want to see naked actresses. So, you know, I don't need this the way I did before. People seem to forget that addiction is a symptom of a bigger problem. Almost always trauma, but that's what needs to be addressed is the trauma. I think that, you know, I know we're teaching about alcoholism and drug addiction in schools. I have a feeling we're still not teaching about pornography or video games or gambling, but what I wonder is when we're teaching about the evils of these substances, are we teaching why most people use them, what to look for? Like you mentioned earlier, what are the signs of, you know, sexually deviant people well what are the signs of a 11 or 12 year old who may develop a drinking problem? What are the signs of a 13 year old boy who may develop a pornography problem? What are the signs of a college freshman who may develop a gambling problem? You know, we need to talk about this stuff because these if we can deal with the symptoms, and that's great. You put Band-Aids on symptoms, but you don't take care of the real problem. You have to address the wound if you're going to heal it and if you're not going to need a Band-Aid. And in my case, Band-Aid was all. The Band-Aid was pornography.
0: We have. I, I, we have. I have a four-year-old twin boys, and and one of the things that I think I can see the ism. I can see it. I can, my husband and I are both uh, in long-term recovery. And, you know, who knows what it'll be. It never occurred to me. And this isn't, I don't know why this is, I thought this, but like you described being five in that situation. And, right, my boys are four and a half. It doesn't occur to me. I I was thinking, you, you know, you talk about them changing, and I'm like, oh God, I'm that, you know, they, you saw this young woman naked and 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 you know started a porn addiction or whatever. I'm, they're going to see me naked and and become abstinent. Um, but the the it never. Acc- well, you know, I I just want to throw out there,
1: my super conservative Catholic parents would not even be in their underwear yeah. around me. So one of the one of the things of. One so of the things like of my youth was that I got very different messages. In my, home, my home life felt okay. very safe, but it was very stifled. This other life at this babysitter's house was much more open. The sexuality, in all honesty, was kind of exciting, but I felt unsafe there. So I think I equated sexuality with not being safe and being safe with this rigid, Almost frigidness. So that, that that's what it is. I actually think it's incredibly healthy to be around your children naked to or in your underwear and to not make a big deal of it and to call body organs by their correct names and to to not create a taboo or a Pandora's box about sexuality um, early in their lives. I think that's super dangerous, but I think that's what happened to a lot of uh, a lot of kids of our generations
0: yeah no, that's interesting. That's good feedback too, because i there was I was reading some statistic about the average age that i'm and I'm gonna botch this i'll I'll do it in the fact check, but it's like average age that a young boy first time sees the first time he sees porn is like eight years old or something at this point. It's ridiculously young and and I think about my boys and think about, okay, so you know, what is it? You know, we talk a lot about recovery, what we do. And 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 I always say with recovery, you know, I'm not a plumber. If you need a plumber, go find a plumber. They know how to do, you know, I I can help you with recovery. Find people who are experts in their field and in their specialty. They will help you. They will tell you, you know, what it is. They will come up with a plan for you. That is always my thing with recovery. What about prevention or what about looking for those signs? Like you were talking about, you know, what I have young boys. What is it look like to have healthy exposure and or when you talk to families about dealing with pornography to not make do you not make that taboo is pornography okay when is it okay are those any topics that you ever cover
1: yeah absolutely and and obviously you know people's uh values their beliefs their morals will always play play into this I believe that you know. First, you have to establish, and if you have a partner, establish together what healthy sexuality looks like for your family. I think a lot of people just don't have that conversation, even as partners. You know, what does healthy sexuality look like for you and your partner? You may be a huge fan of S and M or exhibitionism, and your partner is not. The healthy thing for your coupling is to not go down that road, even. Even if you individually like it, because sexuality as a couple is different than sexuality as an individual. And I think that I think that kids absolutely want direction. And we have to remember, nobody comes out of the womb knowing what the word pornography is. Being ashamed of their bodies. I mean, the fact is, you had to have sex to make the kid. So you know, it's 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 a natural part of life. What I urge parents to do a lot of times is, you know, when the kid is three or four, you can you don't need to use the great big p word. You can just say something as simple at three or four as listen. If uh, if you're ever looking at, at you know a phone or you're ever looking at a tablet and you see somebody without their clothes on, let me know because uh, that's something that adults are supposed to see, not kids. So if you happen to see it, let me know. Just like if you see a cigarette that's lit somewhere, don't put it into your mouth. Let mommy or daddy know you see it. And also make sure that, you know, nobody takes pictures of you with your clothes off. Don't let anybody do that. But you also can't take pictures of other people with their clothes off. Okay. All right. Now let's talk about how to cross the street and leave it at that. And I think, as the kid becomes, you know, seven or eight years old, you know, you have to have the sex talk a little earlier. You have to have the respect for the body talk a little bit earlier. You have to let them know that they, they may see more of this stuff. You know, you know, if you're, I, uh, I have to say this at almost every, and I haven't given a lot of in-person presentations because of the pandemic, but before I was doing that, I would always have somebody, you know, raise their hand be like, we've got filters on our kids' phones, so we should be okay. Um, because I always say it's not a, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You know, congratulations for locking down two of the 4.8 billion phones on earth. You're really playing the percentages there. But what happens when your kid gets on the bus? And their friend with the phone that has no filters is showing them the latest piece of, you know, art on uh, Pornhub, and what is your kid going to do? What is your kid going to say? If you don't know, you haven't actually porn-proofed them. And, you know, you need to have that discussion of, there may be some channels on TV that you come across where you see, you know, people having sex or, you know, people trying to make a baby or naked people in bed with each other. Kids shouldn't, if, if you believe this, kids shouldn't be watching that at your age. They should only watch that at at 13 or 16 or 18, whatever is right for you. But I, I, I don't want you watching this stuff until you're that age. It's just, it's not appropriate for children. It's more for, for teenagers or adults. And much like cigarettes or drinking that I don't want you to do now, when you're 18 or you're 21 and you're not living with me, you'll make your own decisions because this stuff isn't illegal. But I do want you to know that much like cigarettes, much like alcohol, there are some problems that can come with this. And I think as the children get a little older, you can talk about that. I mean, I think that if we talked about porn-induced erectile dysfunction to 13 and 14-year-old boys, we would see some of these numbers drop because these boys are generally not porn addicts yet. They generally want a girlfriend or a boyfriend. They want to have somebody else in their life. They Maybe they're not ready then, but eventually they want to have some kind of sexual relations with them. But if they can't have that in the moment, they'll look at porn when they're 12, 13, 14 to get that release. And this has nothing to do with, with addiction, but they'll look at that stuff to get that release. Those... Some of those kids will end up as addicts, and some of those kids will end up, the, the males will end up with porn-induced erectile dysfunction. And one of the very first guys I ever worked with a couple years ago now, I call him Brian in this story because one of my best friends is named Brian, and he hates being called, he hates his name being used in this story. So, I um, <laughs> love it guy's name wasn't really Brian, but he uh, came to me. He was one of the first porn addicts who I ever worked with. He had porn-induced erectile dysfunction. And essentially what happened was he could not climax unless he was seeing pornography. It didn't matter. He had a very cute, very funny, smart girlfriend named Whitney who was going through a nursing program at their local college. I think he was 22, manager at a baseball hat store um, at their mall. And... She didn't shame him about his addiction. She didn't try to, uh, you know, change him too much, but because he he already wanted some help. But if they were having sex, they had to have a laptop in the room, or they had to have one of their phones on pornography because he could not finish unless he could see something on a screen. So Whitney, which is the girlfriend's name I use, um Whitney figured out if that he was in the bedroom on his phone, if she was in the living room on her laptop, she could do sexual things through the video cam or the, the webcam. Because he was in the other room, because he was looking at a screen, something in his mind told him this was pornography. I think this might be the Coolidge effect, but something in his mind told him that this was pornography. So he would satisfy himself as she was doing that in the other room and before he was about to climax he would call her into the room and they would finish like normal people and that's how they were able to deal with it and i haven't talked to him in over a year it was getting a lot better for them and they were that's that, some that, MacGyver exactly. it's like, you, You've got a winner there. You, you keep her just in case you get caught She's the one who's going to keep you alive by killing the mongoose and whatnot. A
0: hundred percent. If you
1: think about this, you know, if they were going to try to conceive a baby, they needed to have pornography playing in the room. And that's not something you're going to tell your kids about. But the point is, you tell 13 and 14-year-old boys the story of Brian and Whitney, you know, hopefully they understand Brian looked at so much porn. Brian masturbated to so much porn that he essentially broke his penis in normal situations with another person. And Whitney was a freaking saint, but even I could recognize she wasn't going to stay around forever. You know, you do not want that in your partner. If you're young and you have a partner who has this issue, most of the time you're going to walk away. So that's something to keep in mind if you're 13 and 14 years old and you're looking at a lot of porn. And there's no reason why we can't say that to 13 and 14 year old boys. Will it scare them? Maybe, maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need a few of these stories. So they recognize that there are negative repercussions to looking at pornography. You know, I, I can't say there's a definite correlation, but when a married couple Introduces pornography to spice things up into their marriage, statistically, they get divorced three times more than people who are having issues and don't introduce pornography to their marriage. Is that just a giant coincidence over thousands of cases? I don't think it is, but, um, and I don't think that the only causality of divorce is watching porn together, but when it happens, they're three times more likely to get divorced. So, you know, these are statistics, these are behavioral, historical behavioral wow. patterns in other people, and I think it's time that more people understand them and understand that, you know, we're, we're heading to a really rough place. Uh, in 2017, the Barna Group did a study of thousands of men and women. Among men under 30 years old, and this was 2017, so I'm guessing we could probably say among men under 35 years old now, 32 to 33 percent said that they either have a problem with pornography, that they see themselves becoming addicted, wow. or that they are fully addicted. So that's one out of three men, basically, under 30 when this study was done. I can't believe with the lack of talking we've done about it or this pandemic, that the the number's any better. I'm sure it's a lot worse. However, I think that these are the things that we need to start talking about. These are things we need to start talking to our kids about. And much like you and I have been talking here for, you know, an hour and 20 minutes, we haven't got into nitty gritty graphic detail of the pornography that we've seen on the screen, because we don't have to, you know, we can talk about pornography as an abstract thing while still being on the same page. We need to not be afraid to talk about this because until we can talk about pornography, we're not going to talk about pornography addiction. And it's easier to talk to your kids about pornography than it is to deal with their pornography addiction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That would be, that's wow. You just blew my mind. I had no idea that, um, that introducing that into a relationship was so unhealthy. I also think that the rates of ED that have gone up and the rates uh erectile dysfunction, you know, of people using pharmaceuticals to help that probably, you know, it's all very interconnected.
1: Well, I just wanted to share this. One of the things that I always have to tell the partners, and again, 90 to 95% of the time, it's women who are experiencing betrayal trauma is that, you know, you are thinking he's, his addiction is making him not want to have sex with you because he's looking at other women or doing something? It's, it's the, yes, it is the addiction, but, and I'm sure you can speak to this. Tell me about the sex drive of a gambling addict or a heroin addict or an alcoholic. Across the board, every study that's ever been done, addicts have a decreased sex drive. So the fact he doesn't want to have sex with you doesn't really have anything to do with his addiction. As I said, I had a fairly normal, healthy sex life the entire time I was an addict it served a different purpose. There's a difference of being up against a human body. There's a difference of expressing love, as cheesy and corny as that sounds. You know, there is a difference in in having sex or in making love with a human for me than there was in looking at pornography. In pornography, I was I was serving the master in my head with. You know, actual intimacy—you know, with, with a partner—that was that was totally different. That scratched a different itch. And I will admit that probably in my last three to six months of addiction before I got help, there was a an effect on my regular sex life. But it it, it was because I was an addict, not because I was a porn addict. But I can again see how that's—I can see how that how that's easily uh, misconstrued.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's not the t- it's not what the substance is, and that's you you're, you people. I will talk to you know if your husband. People will say, oh, I, th- I feel like he's cheating. You know, I feel like he has a mistress. You know, when he's using or drinking or whatever, because alcohol, meth, whatever that is, is the mistress. And I think it's confusing. It w- naturally confusing for women. You know, when it when it is a woman or a man, that that the addiction is sex related adjacent. Um, that, that piece is confusing. I was wondering, um, you know, b- before I let you go, I want, I want to ask you a question about straight men who are trying to make sense of being molested by a man through homosexual porn. So have you dealt with men who come to their, their, you know, uh, believe that they're heterosexual, whatever they identify as heterosexual and they, um, homosexual porn is part of their repertoire and that has become an issue and, and a question and they're trying to work through their sexuality. Uh,
1: usually in the first section I have with any session I have with anybody, uh, before they can even get to telling me that I make it very clear that they are not the pornography they looked at. You know, it's it's I mean, to be perfectly honest, the one of the biggest genres out there is the pissing genre. I cannot believe that many people want to piss on their partner or each other. It's something that gets them off when they look at it in pornography. You know, it's
0: one of the biggest.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or or uh, transsexual stuff. You know, the the chicks with dicks. You know, I I don't know of a single man who has a pornography issue that hasn't looked at that. But I can tell you myself, I have absolutely no interest in that in real life. I think part of what pornography is again it's that control it's bringing me into you know i have no interest in snm whatsoever but i've seen plenty of snm porn you know pornography brings me into that sexual world lets me see what that sexual world is about that doesn't mean that i want to recreate that in my real life we are not the porn we look at now if you want to recreate that in your real life that's fine. Make sure it's consenting. Make sure that it's in a safe environment. And if you've never tried it, but you want to try it again, go ahead and try it. You know, it's just, hopefully you're not breaking any marriage vows. Hopefully, you know you're uh, you're safe. But I don't think there's anything wrong, short of. It being illegal stuff like children or animals or, or you know, hurting other people, if it's not illegal uh, and everybody involving is consenting, you know, can, can we really draw any conclusions about you based on the porn you looked at? You can draw conclusions about you, but I'm not going to.
0: But do I mean, to me, to me, if there's someone who in a lot of situations I've heard of with friends who believe that their husband or or partner has had sex addiction, one of the things that I hear is that they, you know, a, a couple of times like they're looking at gay porn and that that is one way that sometimes straight men work through this tr- this abuse to like try to see if they're attracted to it.
1: Yeah, yes. Yes. Yes, you're, 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 you're correct. One of the things that we often will look at is things that reflect the abuse that we had. That, that, that is something, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I, I can absolutely understand that. Um, I think that me being interested in movie star stuff was because I always wanted to be famous. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's sometimes as simple as that. What do you seek in your life? Well, here you have an addiction and here's, 900 different genres, you can find something that meets you. But again, this also can go back to the escalation point. You know, I was never molested in any homosexual way whatsoever. I don't recall any homosexual activities or even even curiosity things with neighborhood boys. Don't really recall any of that. I have seen homosexual pornography because I was looking for something else that would get me off that day. That would tickle my brain that day. Does this mean that I am latently gay? I don't think so. Does this mean that I'm interested in, in being with a guy or having a guy be with me? I don't think so because I don't feel those things in real life. We are not the pornography that we look at. It's like saying, you know, you are John Rambo or you are, you know, Chuck Norris or you are these people because you you want to be a secret agent who, you know, you know looks danger in the eye every day because you like James Bond movies that's not necessarily true. And we have to remember that at the core, pornography is a fantasy. It's not real life. That's one of the things that we need to teach children, is that this is not a documentary. This is not a reality show. These are movies. These are scenes. This is fantasy. This does not exist in real life. And I think that's a lot of what When you're an addict, what you're looking at is a fantasy world, you know? What would it be like if I was a gay man? I'm not, but here's what the porn looks like for gay people I think there's again I think it's a natural curiosity I think that if you are heterosexual and you've never wondered about any of the other uh, gender or sexual identities I think that you're probably lying to yourself I think that if you're a homosexual and you've never wondered what it's like to be straight I bet you're lying to yourself I think we always wonder what's happening with the other people and and the way that they are so you know I uh, and obviously you know I'm very liberal when it comes to you know gender and sexuality and i I don't judge anybody for any of it but i think it's completely natural and uh, again like you know you're curious about people with different uh different preferences and you love pornography and watching watching this is you know from from a weird point of view i think there is a little bit of a sociological itch to be scratched in, in in Branching out and looking at porn. How is the other half living? How are these people who somehow have the guts to become porn stars or, you know, wh- whatever reason they're doing it, why, you know, why is this poor man or woman letting this person piss on them? That's, that's, <laughs> that, what, right, what? right. Yeah, right. I, it's don't, like the, I don't care. This hello of care porn, how, you know. I don't care what's happening here. I want to know everything that happened up to this moment. What ad did she answer? How did she rectify with herself that being peed on or peeing on somebody was okay? To me, that's all fascinating. But for for the addict, it just might be the thing that gets them off that day, yet they're not at all interested in doing it real life. So I don't look too deep into the content of porn to decide what's going on with somebody.
0: That's super helpful, super helpful because when I think about it and I'm I'm pretty open about, you know, I'm pretty open about porn one way or another. I don't, uh, I, you know, have an opinion or think it's, you know, in and of itself immoral, but I do think to myself, oh, they are you know if someone i per, to, i don't know if i would say they are the porn they watch but I, you know i would think oh they they like this genre they like like if you watch that then that says something about you i that i would think that and so that's helpful like
1: if you're an addict you've built the tolerance to that so you have to find something new totally totally
0: totally and when i think of it in that terms and i also you, you the movies term. Like, am I every movie? Am I a reflection of every movie I've ever watched? Have I watched movies I don't particularly like and I watched to the end? Yeah. So, you know, I think that's, uh, that's a, I actually really, that's really helpful for me in thinking about this whole topic, which is you're not the porn you watch. I'm not the, you know, uh, I'm not all the things that I've done, even the weird or, you know, whatever things. And, that is very helpful. I don't think society as a whole, I mean me who who you know, I've been to avN, I've seen lots of porn, whatever. it's It's not really a big part of my life anymore, but I still had that in my head of like the relation to what you watch is a reflection of who you are. and and that's something that i want to I want people to hear is like we can we should not we do not have to sh- talk about or not talk about. We do not have to use whatever is the actual content of what's going on as a reflection of that person which is probably where the shame comes from right like most people are probably not super ashamed of watching you know missionary what you know regular, married sex right like that's probably not where the shame the shame point probably has something to do with what they're watching and that makes how do we destigmatize well we destigmatize by saying you're not the porn that you watch and
1: that's exactly it and that you know i think that makes a lot of people feel okay the the most powerful sessions i ever have with porn addicts are the first session when they finally recognize that i don't care what they looked at i'm not going to judge them based on what they looked at i probably looked at it too but Whatever dude, that's not what we're here to talk about. It's caused some problems in your life. Let's see if we can figure out how to how to change those things around. Our first trip's going to be looking back at trauma, but I think most recovery is about 75% trauma work and about 25% identifying triggers and identifying mechanisms by which you can cope with those triggers.
0: Yes, I agree, I agree I love that thank you and I love the work that you're doing and that you're willing to stand up and and talk about this. I think it's so important and um, as you know mom of young boys, I appreciate you and I appreciate you standing up and saying we you know hey, we need to talk about this what are are there a couple of places um, treatment programs that you, you know, list off in your in your repertoire. Uh, at, people do ask me for treatment spots. I always say the Meadows because I'm I'm biased. So maybe you have other <laughs> you have those, uh, other.
1: I've heard great things about the Meadows. I know several people who have been through there. I have heard good reviews about Sierra Tucson and the things that have gone on there. I looked at both of those places when I was considering going there. Uh, there's Keystone in Pennsylvania. Which I also looked into. I have a good friend who went there before me. Unfortunately, I was unable to make my insurance match up with them, but sounds like they've got a really decent program. I ended up at the Sante Center uh, for Healing down in Texas. I appreciated it because uh, they did have drug and alcohol, so I could relate to the alcohol folks, but they also had an eating disorder program. And what was fascinating for me was that I had never really known people with open eating disorders before who would talk about them. And it was so surprising how much we had in common, because with drugs, with alcohol, it's about abstinence. You never touch this again. You never use this again. That's what recovery is. But with food or with sexuality, you have to develop a healthy relationship. You know, uh, yes, I shouldn't look at porn, but that doesn't mean I should never have sex. That doesn't mean I can pull back on intimacy. You know, just because you have a, a a difficult relationship with food, it doesn't mean you can stop eating it. It doesn't mean you should pig out. It means that you need to develop a healthy relationship. So the people who are in the eating disorder program and the people who are in the uh, sex and porn addiction programs, they actually mixed our groups quite a lot. Because a lot of the philosophy was the same thing, and I feel very close to people who have eating disorders now, because the recovery is so much similar to to sex and pornography versus a, a chemical addiction. And you know, as I said, that was uh, Sante Center for Healing. It's just outside Dallas in a tiny, tiny town called Argyle.
0: Mm. Do you are you familiar with the Sex Center Center no, for Healthy Sex? No, but it sex. sounds
1: like a fun weekend.
0: <laughs> uh it's it's uh sex therapy in in los angeles so I was i sometimes refer people
1: is that the one that karn not karns but uh weiss does he still have that open i thought that he had closed it dr robert weiss who was one of the big founders of this uh and one of the first people to study sexuality and pornography he ran it uh back 10 years ago, he ran a very intense program for like two weeks uh, in Hollywood um, or Los Angeles right around there. And I I know somebody who went to that. I thought that he wasn't doing it anymore. But if it's the same thing, you know, there's that. uh, So I can say I know one person went to that 10 years ago. It was decent. I know that no relation, but there's another Weiss, Doug Weiss, in Colorado. He does quite a bit with, with porn and sex addiction. In Pennsylvania, uh, Eddie Caparucci, he wrote a great book called Going Forward, I think it is, about the inner child issues of porn addicts um, and the inner child issues they, they bring. Yeah, going, I think it's going I, deeper. I, funny because I've read it three times, but I talk to Eddie so much. I just say your book, your book, but that's a fantastic book.
0: So he, Eddie Caparucci wrote a book, menagainstporn.org yes, and Sexually Pure those, those are his
1: websites.
0: Do you, you know, this feels like, is that like pray the porn away?
1: No, no, it isn't. And I told okay. him I would have nothing to do with him if it was he he does have a very spiritual core to things And personally, he does. But the book, going deeper, um, there's very, very, very little spirituality in it. It's about looking at the different characters that children fall into when it comes to that kind of dysfunctional life. Um, Absolutely fantastic book for anybody who wants to read it out there. So there are, you know, there are resources out there, and uh, you know, I know a guy named Joshua Shea who wrote three books out there that you can find on his web. You can find on his website or. (laughs) (laughs) or on Amazon, Um, there's more and more out there than there ever was before. That was one of the reasons I started writing books was because, like I said, I can sit with the New England Journal of Medicine and enjoy going through the deep, dark details and statistics, but I know most people don't. And that's why I've written three, what I think very different, but very easy to understand, easy to get through in a couple hours books that will educate anybody who who takes a look at them.
0: Your website. Is
1: P addict recovery.com.
0: P addict. P addict got it.
1: Yes. You don't want to you don't want to put the word porn in a URL as I realized with my first URL. So I just went with P addict recovery and P can stand for porn. P can stand for post-traumatic uh, disorder, which I also have. P can stand for post-transformation. P can stand for whatever you want it to. It doesn't matter. If you're addicted to pterodactyls, they actually start with a P too, so I can help you. Yeah, and uh, so, so really it's it's uh, it's trying to be a bit of a catch-all because I learned the hard way that the SEO world doesn't like the word porn, and that's something else that needs to be addressed. We need to not have these taboos on these words. Well, when I go on somebody's podcast who has oh blog talk radio, um, it's, it's the worst system for having a podcast, but... In their descriptions, they won't put the word porn, not pornography, not porn addict, not recovering porn addict. Uh, They won't put anything like that. So um, I, you know, for for marketing purposes, I just have to go with the word P as much as I'd love to, you know, continue with the word porn. It's I'm learning as I get become an adult that you sometimes have to play by other people's rules. And that's part of my recovery. Yeah, it is. It really That's
0: is. It's the worst. It's the worst. I know. Life on life's terms. Well, Joshua, I am going to, where can, what is your um, Instagram? I want people to be able to find you there as well.
1: Yeah, it's, everything's really easy. Paddictrecovery.com for my website. Paddict recovery for my Instagram and my Twitter. If you want to email me, it is paddictrecovery at gmail.com. So you can find all that there. Search my name on the internet. I'm not hard to find. Uh, if you need books or coaching or access to other resources, I write a couple articles a week on my website. Uh, you need Something answered. I'm I'm right there, and I'm in front of my computer twelve hours a day, so I can uh, certainly answer a question for you.
0: <laughs> well, I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you for. I know you do lots of these, and uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. It didn't feel canned at all, and I appreciate your time. And um, I know that you know you, you are helping a lot of people who are very confused about this. And it's an important, it's important work.
1: Well, and I just want to throw out there to people, you know, perhaps this is just wanton pushing my coaching, but uh, somebody the other day asked me and it was nice. How many people have you seen recover who haven't had some level of professional help? And I could not think of one person who recovered from sex addiction porn addiction or betrayal trauma without seeing a professional of some kind. So just keep that in mind for anybody watching who may be feeling this is that you need to reach out and ask for help. You know, this isn't a broken bone that will heal on its own. This isn't, you know, something like diabetes or heart disease where you just take a medication in the morning or you give yourself a shot. This is something that the trauma is deep and you have to work with somebody else to get through it. And it can't be your best friend it can't be your your partner it needs to be a third party who is rooting for you but is not in every day every moment part of your life uh and hopefully somebody who's got some training in this so just want to want to push that forward as well we need you know ask for help it's okay
0: hundred percent. Find an expert, find someone who specializes and talk to them. And, and I tell people, even if you just have a discovery call, right? Like even if they just call you and say, you know, are, am I a good fit for this? You know, it, it doesn't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to be pay immediately. You can call and see, is this a good fit? Is this the right thing? And then see if it is. So I think that's also like that people think, you know, the moment they pick up the phone, they're going to be charged.
1: Right, and that's what I I always tell people, that I offer a free initial consultation, get to know you, we're not gonna solve everything in forty-five minutes. I'm sorry, but you're going to get a vibe for me. And if that vibe is strong enough, and if that vibe is something that you think can help you get to the other side of where you need to get to, I'm there to help you. And it's not gonna, you know, cost you a the equivalent of going to, you know, a super you know specialists in norway or you know fly out to southern california or something like that you know i'm doing this to keep the lights on and help people that's what's important to me now and i look at my whole life and all the crazy stuff i did from being a magazine editor to being a city councilor and all this it was just to get where i am now and my my life is not about getting rich it's about helping other people but you know that's uh you need the people to come to help
0: Obviously, yes, It's a, you're doing great work. So wonderful. Thank you so much, Joshua. I really appreciate it.
1: Me too. Thank you very much for having me. You know, I, I have the message, but you have the medium. All right. It was nice meeting you, Ashley. Bye now.
0: Sounds good. All right. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. You as well. Bye bye. This podcast is sponsored by LionRock.life. Lionrock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meeting schedule and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.